0: Hello, and welcome to The Unique CPA. I'm your host, Randy Crabtree. The goal of our show is to keep you at the forefront of the changing face of public accounting by having conversations with fascinating leaders and bringing you their stories, insights, and advice. The Unique CPA podcast is brought to you by Trimerit, the specialty tax professionals. Today, our guest is Dan McMahon. After 20 years, after over 20 years in public accounting, and the business advisory services space where he focused on the professional services, manufacturing, and real estate industries. Dan founded Integrated Growth Advisors in 2011. AGI works with public accounting firm, among other industries, to increase profitability, improve sustainability, groom the next generation of leaders and owners, and ultimately provide guidance for transferring leadership and or ownership. Dan, welcome to the Unique CPA.
1: Glad to be here, Randy. Thank you for uh, extending the invitation.
0: Well, no, it was great. I, I actually got to hear you speak on my first virtual conference of the year, uh, which was a, a Lineal Global Association of CPA Firms, where you, uh, I think you were the, were you the first speaker at that event? I think so.
1: I think I was, if, if, if in fact, it was the first speaker of day two, perhaps. But Maybe yeah. that's what it was, and yeah. it was
0: very intriguing. I, I got very interested hearing what you had to say and, and immediately thought, hey, there's a guy that uh, I think uh, everybody would int- be very interested in listening to on the show. So uh, again, thank you for agreeing to do this, and, and I think people will find it very intriguing.
1: Absolutely, my pleasure.
0: Uh, so before we jump into specifics, so AGI, a firm you started in 2011, I guess a little, give us a little background on, on what that is. I, I mentioned you work with CPA firms and other industries, but CPA firms is a major focus,
1: right? Yes, we focus primarily on CPA firms, but on the other hand, we also work with several multiple owner businesses, which is not different from a CPA firm where you have uh, partners in the business. That's Our true. Focus yeah, our focus is on corporate governance, accountability, corporate growth of a CPA firm, and uh, increasing the valuation. We we do a lot with valuation creation. And because of that, we find a lot of our work uh, to be prevalent in preparing firms for either a transition to their next generation, or an outright merger and acquisition event that's coming down the pike in the future.
0: Well, that's an area I'd really like to, to talk a lot about here in a minute. So I I started in public accounting in 1988. As far back as I can remember, mergers and acquisitions have been occurring. Um, it, it seems to me that it's more often now, and that very well could be because what we're, we're I'm assuming, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, we're an aging CPA population in general, and I would assume an aging partnership aspect
1: of CPA firms. Is that an accurate statement? Uh, Absolutely. In fact, I don't have the actual data uh, in front of me. Yep. Uh, But if you were to think about it, uh, a couple of years back, I attended a conference where there was a speaker from the AICPA speaking about firm transitioning. And he was giving the statistics of the average age of a partner in an accounting firm and he showed a historical trend of that age and how it was changing and let's just say that that age was 58 years old one year 59 the next year and 60 the year after that so you've got a you've got a population of cpa firm founders and partners who uh, have been pretty much trending to holding their own at their particular um, generation. They've come into public accounting, they were able to carve out a path for themselves, they became partners, they were founders of firms, and they've stayed the course. So we do have a situation where there are a lot of founders and and really tremendous people who started firms and put a lot on the line to do that. And they've, uh, they've stayed the course. And the age group of partners in accounting firms really hasn't gotten any younger.
0: That that could be a pretty good, a pretty big problem when we're talking about uh, transitioning to that end. Then, so firms in general, as they're aging now, that firm asset, I guess, is something that those partners own. That's something they have, and something that probably a, a lot of them count on that value as part of their retirement uh, uh, a plan. Do you find? that they're looking at the firm as an asset and looking at ways to make sure they maximize that value for when they do retire, or is that often just, hey, we're so busy concentrating on our clients that we're gonna do that, and then we feel that's our responsibility. I mean, how do you see that?
1: We, we absolutely see it as a responsibility and an obligation that we have to our client base. When we begin working with a client, we want it to find success for our work with that client but we also want to understand their personal goals, their wealth management goals. And we want to understand kind of what, what segment of their business portfolio uh, is made up of uh, their owner operated business. All right, so it so does become very prevalent when we're looking down the road, thinking about the partner retiring, selling off his or her uh, portion of the firm and, and how that uh, impacts the pursuit of personal goals as well as professional goals.
0: So let's talk about that then, because so there's I'm sure there's many different things we could talk about that you do and, and maybe we'll be able to intermingle these into the discussion, but let's concentrate on that whole, you know, uh, maximizing value for the outgoing partner. Is there a, a point in time where a partner typically, or, or a group of partners typically, say, okay, it's time to call Dan. You know, we are at an age now that uh, we need to know these things. I, I'm sure everybody could use your services early. I mean, immediately in their in their forming their firm. But do you find there's a trigger point where they say, hey, you know, we really need to start thinking about this value, and then and then if so, what what's your process of helping them with that?
1: That's that's a really good question. Clearly, we'd like to get involved sooner rather than later and part of us getting involved with a client sooner in the path towards their retirement or their eventual sell-off of their firm we can chip away If if we're involved sooner we can chip away we can do little things month over month year over year if we're on a three to five year trajectory towards that future transition event so it's always ideal to start sooner And it's kind of one of those things that if you're ultimately gonna engage with a firm like ours, it's pay me now or pay me later. And I don't say that to be flippant. I don't say that to be um, controversial. The fact of the matter is, if you're looking to engage with a firm like Integrated Growth Advisors to help you along your path of uh, increasing the valuation of your business and ensuring that you can have a very uh, stable transition to the next owners, getting involved with us sooner rather than later isn't gonna change the, the pricing structure of, of what you might invest in our services. So we like to get involved earlier, and you asked the question about triggering events. Yes. Like what triggers a client of ours to call upon us? Typically it's, it's a significant amount of pain around the uncertainty of the future of your firm. And not every firm uh, and not every managing partner uh, really steps outside of himself or outside of herself to, to understand this. But when you understand that you, you're you kind of in over your head and you need some objectivity and guidance, it's it's not like we bring anything that's intellectually superior to a group of CPAs. CPAs are very, very smart people. So we don't bring anything that's beyond their intellectual capacity. We just bring structure, process, an objective point of view, and we help coach them and guide them along the continuum towards that future event, whether it be transferring internally to the next generation or selling outright to a third party.
0: Quick question on that. Is there a different process between those two events? If, we're, if, if our ultimate goal is to sell or merge with someone else, or our ultimate goal is to have our leaders, the up-and-coming leaders, take over, I'm assuming the process is somewhat similar, but there's got to be different areas that you concentrate on?
1: Yeah, and it's a really good question because uh, actually we can operate almost in parallel fashion and, and do the same thing to ready the firm for a transition internally to the next generation or a sale to the outside third party. Because when you think about it, what would somebody be purchasing? An outside third party is gonna look to see that the revenues are sustainable and the relationships are transferable. They're gonna look to see that the talent in-house can sustain the firm into the future. They're gonna look for a certain amount of stability in order to make an investment in buying out a a group of partners. Even though the final transaction or the final steps in the process might be a little bit different when you're transferring internally, that's still a group of partners who are looking to buy the firm, who are looking down the pike, looking into the future, onto the horizon and understanding, gee, this is a firm that does have the talent to sustain without the founding partners. So it's all about the same things. You're you're looking to invest in the firm as an external uh, buyer of the firm, or you're internal and you're looking to buy the firm. You want the same things. You want sustainable and transferable value.
0: So that that initial discussion then is probably one of what is the goal, although if it's that goal is the same, that that path is pretty similar, whether that goal is uh, 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 just the current leaders taking over or selling. So I'm assuming that's first question. What is your goal? And then you're gonna go in and identify areas to help get to that goal or help maximize value? I guess my question is, what's the process then that you go through? If someone's got that triggering event, we're three to five years out now, Dan and his groups comes in, what's that process you're gonna go through then to help them get to that area, that that timeline?
1: The process is where we, we sit down and we talk about what they're looking to accomplish. What are they looking to accomplish for themselves professionally as well as personally? How does that line up with their current state of affairs in their firm? And uh, just to dovetail back on what we were talking about in terms of being able to operate parallel, if we've got a parallel situation where we're preparing for a potential external M&A or an internal transfer to the next generation, senior partners, founding partners, existing owners of firms have options. and and they have an option to either sell externally or transfer internally. What we encourage them to do is keep their options open. And at the same time, respect the fact that the next generation that's probably gonna do very little due diligence on your firm or you when you sell to them, they've got options too. So, you know, we we try to keep uh, a very open dialogue about, uh, where what direction they plan to take and how they're gonna get there. And keep your options open, develop your internal people to be able to take over in leadership positions, should you decide to transfer internally, or if you transfer externally, you want these people to have a secure career path with the new owner. And, and that's gonna help retain people, help retain clients, and retain value through the transaction and beyond. So, your question that I'm that I'm looking to answer right now is, mm-hmm. what's the process? The process is uh, to sit down and define success. Once we yeah. understand what success looks like, we can figure out what we're trying to accomplish. We go through an assessment of the business, and our yeah. assessment is. Uh, driven along the lines of 18 different drivers of growth and value in a firm. These are things like, you know, how secure is your recurring revenue? How in touch are you with the satisfaction of your clients? Do you have an understanding of where you fit within the marketplace that, that you state as your marketplace for your firm? What's your senior management look like? Do you have clarity around roles and responsibilities? things like that there's 18 different drivers of value so we go through a pretty extensive process of understanding this and we come up with a preliminary valuation and that preliminary valuation is pretty much the uh, in a range of the top top of the range which typically in an accounting firm is around one times net revenues as a multiple of net revenues one times not always. We've seen where in certain circumstances a, a firm can transact at a much higher rate. But we'll have a, a range of value that's maybe on the top end of the spectrum, one to one point two times net revenues, and maybe as low as point four times. Oof. And it and you know it's kind of a gut check because or a reality check because you're at this point now where. You had this idea that your firm was valued at one times top line revenues, but just like anything, nobody's perfect. No organization is perfect. You've got some blemishes that maybe you wanna repair before you go down the path of entertaining uh, potential buyers or a future transition internally. So we then come up with a remediation plan to address those areas of risk or areas of weakness and we're very conversant with our clients very open minded very transparent we say what we see they give it back to us oftentimes and we we wrestle a little bit you know it's not like what we come up with is the end of the the story i mean there's some interplay between us and the client but you know from that open dialogue we come up with a pretty good action plan to remediate their weaknesses and increase their value. That's where the value creation comes in.
0: So then after you work on that value creation aspect of things, I'm assuming your job's not done, you're continuing to advise them, you know, till the, whatever the end of the process is, what are what we gonna do next then?
1: So we, we work uh, uh, closely with the client as they're remediating their, their weaknesses and, and making improvements. Uh, we're also taking a close look at governance of the firm and how how their governance structure is, because uh, the governance structure is what sustains the, the firm into the future. Now, even if you're gonna sell to a third party, you've got to have uh, a good governance structure because you want your people to be accustomed to working within that sort of a, a structure. So we'll work through the remediation and eventually be there to guide them through a transaction potentially be there to help them find a solution we might go out and uh, do some anonymous uh, knocking on doors on the behalf of our client okay we might work with the client to go out and find sort of like a strategic strike where we would go out and find somebody that has good leadership potential that would come into the firm from a recruiting aspect That's so nice. we're, we're all about growing that business asset and you said that early on in the podcast it's an asset it's it's really an asset there's everything that you do needs to be an investment in growing that asset and not viewed as expense so when you spend money in your business you need a return on investment and you need to get something back for that whether it's more performance which could translate to value, or it's simply more value. Right,
0: let's talk about value for a second because that, that intrigues me. Because we talked about the fact of, uh, you know, uh, looking at one times or revenue as a, you know, or whatever, up to 1.2 potentially as the a value that someone would be looking to pay for a firm can you increase that the value can you get that that multiple maybe up without increasing revenue and just by obviously being more profitable or you know getting rid of bad clients whatever it is is that one of the aspects you work with
1: yeah, we would we would work with uh, um, anything that that has to do with creating more value we mm-hmm. would be working with the client we would be targeting specific elements of their business to drive the value higher so one thing uh, in any business, especially in an accounting firm is if if you're selling an inventory of hours, you need to maximize the return on the hours you put out to the marketplace. So if you've got clients that are a drag on your your operations or a drag on your people, your people are your greatest asset within the organization. Yep. If you have clients that are a drag on your business, you you need to look very closely at either increasing rates uh, or or changing around the the dynamic of how you serve them, uh, or in in the worst case scenario, having the courage to move on and and free up that space to bring in a more profitable client. So to answer your question specifically, yes, we do look at, areas where where maybe they could be replacing clients and then having a systematic way of adding revenues to the firm
0: all right that's great i've actually lately been talking quite a bit about value billing i had someone on the podcast i think it was the last show that came out was talking a lot about value billing do you have a a way you look at value billing do you help that do you use that as a tool to help maximize value is the just getting your opinion on value billing in general i guess
1: Yeah. It's interesting you asked that question because now uh, that's the second time somebody brought up value billing to me in the last 36 hours, or maybe the last 48 hours. Absolutely. If if you've got an opportunity to increase your revenues by looking at your pricing strategy and how you actually bill and collect your fees, uh, then we would be looking at that. And in the terms of uh, value billing, the way we look at sales we actually know that sales is a bad word it's a bad five-letter word s-a-l-e-s that's five letters it's a, it's a bad five-letter word sales in the accounting industry so the way that we communicate with our clients about sales or revenues or new business is we look at it as an exchange of value so you're bringing forward all of the skills, all of the credentials, all of the experience that you've worked your tail off to develop over the course of your career. And Randy, you know this as well as I, both of us with public accounting backgrounds. How many 2, 2 a.m. Uh, evenings have you had in your, in your career? I mean, I've had, se- I've had more than several.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, more than several. More than several as well.
1: <laughs> Exponentially more than several. Yes. I'm just a little embarrassed to admit it. Yep. Um, but, you know, all of that experience that we have as CPAs and that our, our clients have as CPAs, they deserve to uh, reap the reward when, when a client has a need. So uh, a lot of times you'll, you'll have like a really unique, let's say a a tax strategy that's addressed in a particular client. It's absolutely fair. If you bill client A $20,000 and three months later, client B comes along with the same exact issue, I honestly don't think it's appropriate to bill two hours of work just to transfer all the information over to the new client. I mean, you still have to do some work and due diligence to, to make sure that you're providing due care to your uh, client service uh, uh-huh. scenario. But you've created something of value and it's repeatable. Yep. So we do get into that. And, uh, you know, I, I stand firm on, on the position that that's an ethical way of doing business. Uh, you know, you've put forth the time, the energy, you've developed the skills, you've got the experience, and you have something to offer that new client. If they didn't buy it from you, they might go someplace else, and the other firm, your competitor, might have to start from scratch. Yep. So there is a value aspect to billing, definitely.
0: I agree completely, and I I hear it more and more the last few years, and and it's my hope that more firms are uh, taking on that model, at least as part of their practice, and and I think that'll uh, I think I think SCPAs we we're too often undervalue our, our, uh, our, what our clients get from us, our services oh, and our ability. So I, I might be going on and down a rabbit hole here uh, with my next question, but when you were just discussing it, it this, I really thought this was interesting. And we probably uh, could go for—I'm guessing a while on this. Maybe we won't. But you talked about sales, and that sales is a—you know—a a five-letter word that's looked at as like a four-letter word. Um, yeah. I don't know if you said it that way, but yep. you hear that all the time, uh, you know. And and I actually hear it from our clients that I, that I work with today, our CPA firms, and, and you always hear CPAs do not like to be sold to, and they. Same thing. CPAs don't like to sell. I don't think in general. They like to educate. They like to show that they you know, can it can do this for you. And that's great. I don't think sales should be a bad word. How do you look at sales within CPA firms? Because most firms, at least when I was growing up in public accounting, we didn't have a business development person. With the firm I have now, we have multiple business development people. I see more firms have business development people. Do you see that as a a positive, is that a route that firms should go down when, I don't know if that equates to you know, value, it would if there's an increase in revenue, but, but is that, do you advise people on their sales tactics uh, with your whole process?
1: Uh, we do, in fact, um, uh, we have a partner who focuses exclusively on sales effectiveness and, and driving a more uh, effective sales engine within a business. And an accounting firm's a business. You'd be surprised, or maybe you wouldn't be surprised. I've had accounting firms tell me, gee, Dan, your stuff is really interesting. This is the kind of stuff that we'd like to see rolled out with some of our clients, like some real businesses. <laughs> I've actually had that said to me. And the reality is, is is an accounting firm is a business. It's a it's a very lucrative business. It's a good place to be. It's a great profession. So when I work with uh, with our clients, we're focused on helping them understand that selling is an exchange of value. You've got that background, you've got that expertise, you've got the experience, you've put the hours in. Your clients don't have that. Your clients have cash flow, your clients have budgets, your clients have needs, and your clients ought to be looking at what they're going to spend with you through the lens of what's my return on investment. So in no situation should you be pitching services that the client can't return an investment on um, or gain a return on their investment. So I do work with uh, our clients in in that uh, respect by all means. Getting over the hump of that five letter word is a big thing to do.
0: It is, and it's funny. I, I'm surprised, and, and and honestly, it probably was for me when I was in public accounting. But man, my mindset now is completely different because we're bringing value, like you said, and and we mm-hmm. need to get that value out to people so they understand how we're helping. And and do you see? Do you see a lot of firms bringing on just business development people, or are the partners and managers and and supervisors still tasked with that role?
1: The viewpoint that we bring to the equation is. There is no one size fits all for any given firm. There is no silver bullet for growing your firm. Uh, You've got a unique group of people within the four walls of your office. Some of them might be rainmakers, or none of them might be rainmakers. If you don't have any rainmakers, by all means, let them do what they do best and bring on board a, a team of business developers. But if you do have some rainmakers, uh, you want to leverage their highest and best use and get them out in front of people, and and still at the same time you might still have uh, professional business developers uh, come on board. But you also want to look at your business development team from the perspective of return on investment. So you're going to pay a particular salary to a uh, business developer. Maybe it's a salary plus commission. You know how much business does that business development person need to bring in, because once they bring it in, you're gonna have to, you're paying them already a base salary, then you're gonna pay a commission on top of that specific to that engagement. But then you've still gotta pay your people to work that engagement. So how much business needs to be brought in by a business developer to be able to substantiate his or her existence? If you understand that, and you can align that number with a sales goal that's realistic, then, by all means, it, it makes sense to, to bring on board uh, professional sales. Yep.
0: And uh, a value creation goal as well, I'm assuming, correct? Yep. 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 Uh, all right. Yeah. So the, I think that's so I could keep, I've got a, like a thousand questions I would love to ask you. <laughs> you know, we might have to have another conversation down the road. I, I don't want abrupt, to abruptly uh, cut things off here, but I, I, I think we're at a point where I want to ask one final question, which I think is going to be important to everything that you talked about, I think it's gonna be everything you talked about today and the need for for this planning and, and, and advice and everything you do for firms. So we talked about at the beginning how there are an aging population of CPAs, an aging population of partners, which means in my mind, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, there's a lot of competition out there for firms that are going to be potential merger or acquisition targets. And so the firm that can create that value, whatever that is, is the one that they're gonna win. And I'm assuming that's part of why you do this and how you do this is to help them be the attractive firm in the industry,
1: right? Yeah, definitely. And uh, what's interesting is oftentimes we'll get hired because somebody wants to sell their firm. But once we get started and we bring uh, some infrastructure or just some objectivity and guidance into the equation, by looking at the firm from the outside in and we start to make some corrections and the firm start to perform better and the firm therefore is more valuable. Uh, a lot of times, uh, you know, option A is really to transition to that next generation. Okay. Senior partners are gonna get more on that transition. They understand the buyer. They know what the risks are with, with selling to the buyer. Uh, they may be able to stay on board a little bit longer and continue to make a pretty good wage while they're transitioning the firm. So what we do find is uh, getting firms uh, ready for sale oftentimes ends up being that uh, the firm becomes so valuable that the existing owners wanna keep it or transition it internally. And uh, the short answer to your question I live on the East Coast now, by the way, and I moved here from uh, Chicago area. All right. and when I first moved out here, I had a lot of people say, Dan, that's a long Midwestern story. <laughs> All right. So this is a long Midwestern story of me being able to say the, the firm that, that brings the most strategic value to the equation and, and with the competition of many firms out there that are looking to potentially tran- transfer, Ah, uh, that's the one that's going to be gobbled up first.
0: I think that's a good close. I think you, I think you uh, summed it up nicely there. Uh, normally, I would ask if there's anything else you want to add. I guess I will ask, but I think you ended it nicely at the end
1: there. I think that's good. Yeah, I think um, <laughs> it's all about building that strategic value, making yourself most attractive, and uh, and letting the process play out in the open market as to whether or not. So you you can fulfill your destiny of selling or transitioning internally.
0: Yeah, and I think that that's awesome. That it oftentimes turns into a transition. Having that you know continuation of the next leader's taking over is really I think the ultimate goal for a lot of leaders within firms. But that's just not. Uh, uh, possible sometimes, but bringing you in and helping the that it creates that opportunity. I think that's awesome. Um, all right. So uh, I, now that you said that, I think I have long Midwestern questions sometimes when I'm
1: doing this, doing <laughs> I mean, this now podcast. Now you're going to be all self-conscious. I yeah, that's right.
0: No, 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 that's no problem. And I'm I'm in the Chicago suburbs, so that's probably why. It's the, the same thing there. But uh, before we do a final wrap, I want to ask you one question, which I found uh, very intriguing. I, I found out, uh, you know, and we, and I think anybody that listens to the show realizes we usually end on a fun fact. I, I found out a fun fact uh, from you. Well, I found out from you. So that's <laughs> not top secret, uh, that you have been trained in improv. Uh, and I think you said, uh, cumulatively, about four years of classwork in improv. So how did this come about? And, and tell me about improv
1: experience. Well, it came about where, um, you know, I stepped away from public accounting uh, nine years ago to, to start Integrated Growth Advisors. And I didn't know what to do with myself in my winter months. So I would always, you know, take on a new hobby. I would take some classes, like totally elective outside the box type things. And I was being called upon to do more and more public speaking. And here I was in January, it was after the holidays. I was kind of feeling like, what am I gonna do next? My client base is working really hard right now. And I, I always, I had a lot of friends tell me, you ought to get into improv. And I'm not a comedian by any shape of the imagination, okay? But a lot of friends told me I ought to get into it. And uh, I decided I'm gonna check it out and see if it could enhance my public speaking skills. And I'll tell you what, it enhanced my listening skills more Ah. than my public speaking skills, and I became addicted. Really? And I started to see the value that it brought me in terms of working with my clients, and you know, in in situations where I might have been more of a daydreamer, I was more of a listener, and I became better at listening, therefore better at providing um, services to my clients, and it. And not only that, it's a ton of fun and it's an adrenaline rush when you go to these classes because you're actually performing in class. And then I've been able to perform on stage uh, five different times through my school, which I'm happy to plug uh, if I could. (laughs) Sure, go ahead. My school is Improvolution in uh, New York City, and uh, their slogan is Improv for Everyone. Nice. That's why I signed up. And I found out, and they're a great group. And uh, I found out that it is for everyone. Anyone can do it. If I can do it, anyone can Anybody do, can do it. it. That's the yeah. truth.
0: Yeah, I never would have thought of something I could do. Um, I actually would be intrigued and trying. Uh, uh, you know, probably uh, ten years ago, I would never have said that. Uh, and partly, I think it's because. You know, you talked about public speaking. You know, I do a lot of that now as well. And I get adrenaline rush from that. And those I look at as improv, not really improv, but that's the presentation is I'm not reading off a, you know, a script It's just, Hey, Mm -hmm. let's see where the audience takes this. But then I'm interaction interacting with that audience, not another person, but I think it'd be fun. So I think that's great. And the, the cool thing that you just said about that is that improv sticking to your theme created value in you. Uh, to your clients, so we're always get we're going back to that value generation. So
1: yes, and so continuous it, improvement, not just on a professional right. level, on a personal level, and on an organizational level.
0: All right, awesome. Well, uh, we're gonna wrap it up. Before we do, I think everybody could uh, benefit from talking to you at some point in their business career. So, how can people get a hold of you?
1: Uh, I could be reached at. Uh, Integrated Growth Advisors is the firm name. My name is Dan McMahon. Uh, My cell phone number, I'm happy to give it out, is 860-490-5068. And the email address that you could reach us at would be info, that's I-N-F-O, at integratedgrowthadvisors.com. That's a mouthful. It's good for branding. But info at integratedgrowthadvisors.com. Uh, shoot us an email. We'd love to talk with you. We right. definitely appreciate this as well, Randy.
0: Oh yeah, that's no problem. And and uh, you know, I, I've looked at your website. A lot of good information there as well. So definitely go out there and, and see everything you can see there. Thank you for joining us today. And you can find all the links and show notes for today's episode, as well as more about Trimerit at theuniquecpa.com. Remember to subscribe and join us for our next episode, where we'll be going beyond compliance into forging new pathways of delivering value to clients, diversifying your revenue streams, and leading-edge management techniques and styles.
1: This has been a production of Twin Flame Studios.